Hello and welcome to our London History Podcast, where we share our love of London, its people, places and history. This podcast is designed for you to learn things about London that most Londoners don't even know, all in 20 minutes. I am your host, Hazel Baker, qualified London tour guide and CEO of londonguidedwalks.co.uk. Our walking tours are for those who love London and want to make the most of their time here, no matter whether it's for a weekend or a lifetime. We aim to deliver insightful and well-prepared London guided walks with enthusiasm and professionalism. And in this podcast, we try to do the same. If you enjoy what we do, then please rate and review. You can become a patron for as little as £5, and that's where we share additional videos of the interviews with you, plus lots of other unique content. This episode is the perfect accompaniment to the wonderful TV show, The Architecture the Railways Built, with railway enthusiast Tim Dunn. In Series 3, Episode 7, you've guessed it, I'll be talking with Tim about London's first railway which surprisingly few people know about. The episode will be released on Monday the 25th of October at 8pm on UK TV, and you can also watch it online. Get that cup of tea, put your feet up, and enjoy. First question, where was London's first railway terminus? The railway first entered London in the 1830s, just before Queen Victoria's accession to the throne, on a viaduct between Spa Road in Bermondsey and Deptford near Lewisham. It was the first occasion where locomotives ran over a proper railway in the London district. There had been earlier attempts to run a railway in London, but that's for another day. Where is Spa Road Station? Thousands of you will have unknowingly gone through Spa Road Station if you have travelled into London Bridge by train. It's no longer a terminus. In fact, it's no longer a station. There are only fragments left to be seen, and I have taken a video which I will add to the show notes on the website. Our story begins in late Georgian London. Georgian Bermondsey was ripe for development. In 1829, James Savage completed St James's Church just off Jamaica Road. You may have noticed it when coming into London Bridge from Blackheath or Greenwich. In 1833, an Act of Parliament granted the London and Greenwich Railway the rights to build a four-mile-long railway from the south end of London Bridge to Greenwich and to run trains along it for passengers, and so made what to some people would have been only a dream become a very exciting reality. The ultimate dream was for the railway to reach from London to Dover, and there was a much talk of a London and Gravesend extension from Greenwich too. During 1835, construction of the viaduct both at the Greenwich and London bridge ends continued, while test runs of trains were made along the route. By early 1836, there was considerable pressure to open the railway, especially from the investors. The heat was on, and revenue was needed. There was welcome publicity to be had from being the first railway to run trains into London. It's not the one who did it properly who goes down in history, but the one who came first, 
no matter the cost. It was therefore decided to open the line between Spar Road and Deptford whilst the Greenwich and London Bridge ends were completed. The subsoil was a blackish peat which gave considerable concerns and Landman pioneered the use of concrete to reinforce the foundations. Even so, several of the piers near Corbett's Lane moved four or five inches out of the perpendicular. Elsewhere, iron ties were used to prevent lateral movement in the brickwork. An early locomotive was used. Built for the Southern Eastern Railway, the overall length of the engine and tender was 36 feet 4 inches. The cylinders measured 15 inches by 18 and the drivers 5 foot 6 inches. The first train left Deptford for Spa Road Station at 8am on Monday the 8th of February 1836 and it marked the start of a regular service from Spa Road. Just three weeks after, two arches close to Tooley Street collapsed. Oops. It must have been quite an experience to speed along in a train along the viaduct above the surrounding buildings of southeastern London and the countryside. And that's exactly what Bermondsey was. It was land used for growing produce for the London markets. The Birmingham Journal on 13th February 1836 reported A passenger in a Greenwich railway carriage on Monday last says that in one of the experimental trips the train of six carriages was conveyed at the rate of a mile per minute or 60 miles per hour. I'd be amazed if that was actually the case but maybe it did feel like it. He adds that the sensation experienced was that of flying, rather than that which is felt in the most rapid of ordinary models of travelling. There were two numerous parties of ladies in the carriages. All seemed highly delighted. Trains ran hourly on the half hour from Spa Road, from 8.30am to 5.30pm, with a fare to Deptford costing sixpence. There were no services after dark, as there were no signals on the line and it was not illuminated. On the Whit Monday, following the official opening, the line carried around 13,000 passengers. Spa Road was the first London terminus, albeit for less than a year. The London Bridge to Deptford line opened in December 1836, The line extended to Greenwich and opened in 1838. But the London Bridge to Greenwich line hit a number of firsts. It was the first steam railway in London. It was the first to be built specifically for passengers. It was also the first to be an entirely elevated railway, and that's an early 19th century engineering marvel. 878 brick arches were built, most of them being 18 feet span and 22 feet high, which is the longest run of arches in Britain, creating four miles of continuous viaduct. It's estimated that 60 million bricks were used. So that's 100,000 bricks a day being used by a total of 400 navvies. 
The arches are now Grade 2 listed. The sheer amount of bricks required created a shortage in London and drew the price of bricks up too. Unusually for the time, the bricks were made in Sittingbourne in Kent and brought to the construction site via Canal Barge. Early attempts to put housing underneath the arches were unsuccessful and the spaces were used by local businesses, just as many of them are used like that today. Victorian Bermondsey boomed. In 1839, the Croydon Railway opened. In 1844, the Bricklayer's Arms opened on Old Kent Road. The viaduct above Borough Market in Clink Street, linking to Cannon Street Railway Bridge, was completed in 1866. From 1850 to 1901, the London and Greenwich ran trains on the right-hand side, the only British railway ever to do so. When the line was connected to the North Kent line at Charlton in the 1870s, it caused operational problems and a scissor crossing had to be installed to enable trains to cross over to the left. This arrangement ended in May 1901. The London and Greenwich Railway, LNGR, was formed by Colonel George Thomas Landman, a former Royal Engineer, and George Walter, an entrepreneur and they came together to build London's first railway. They took inspiration from stagecoaches. Each railways took over the stagecoach arrangement of placing passengers on the outside of otherwise enclosed coaches. They also chose to fix benches across the end walls of its second-class stock, on which passengers could sit with their legs dangling over the track. Why was the railway built in stages? Well, the area of London Bridge was densely populated. Landman and Walter had the foresight to see that running a railway at ground level would have caused considerable problems with the large number of streets that they would have had to have crossed by railway, a time when horsepower was the main option for transport. And the land was notoriously marshy. Think Dickens's Jacob's Island which was not too far away. And the open land out towards rather higher than Deptford was crossed by the Grand Surrey Canal and two rivers, the Neckinger and the Ravensbourne. So they rose above it, quite literally. A viaduct would be able to carry the railway above the marshy ground and would also be able to ensure the busy London streets are not obstructed by the railway. 828 arches were built, designed with a pedestrian toll path along one side. The route was surveyed in 1832 and in 1833 the Acts of Parliament had been improved and the Act to create the London and Greenwich Railway received royal assent on the 17th of May of the same year. Work started on the foundations in February 1834 and in places they had to dig down 24 feet to get a firm foundation for the arches. The London and Greenwich Railway began compulsory purchases of land in 1834, and the enormous quantities of materials needed to build the viaduct began to arrive on site. Construction of the viaduct started at Corbett Street, as this point was roughly in the centre of the route, and it was open country. 
so it wasn't dependent on the land purchases and demolition work required to prepare the route in central London. The viaduct included the stations of London Bridge, Spa Road, Bermondsey, closed in 1915, and Deptford. A further stop on top of the viaduct at Southwark Park was opened in 1902, but also closed in 1915. Each railway preference for stone blocks over wooden sleepers was influenced by horse-drawn railways, where the blocks didn't go across unlike a sleeper and so left a pathway down the middle. This was different, however, for London and Greenwich Railway, though, because they were designing it with steam locomotives from the off. This was a railway for the future. Early railway engineers also thought securing the rails as firmly as possible a good idea. And this was another reason that they used stone blocks. The London and Greenwich went further and even set its granite sleepers in concrete to make doubly sure. They then later realised that wood had shock-absorbing properties and thus reduced wear and tear and offered a much smoother ride. Originally, the line had single parallel tracks of Stevenson gauge, 4 foot 8.5 inches, fixed to stone blocks or sleepers. By 1840, there was a mixture of bridge rails, single parallel and double parallel rails. The original rails caused excessive noise and damage to structure and rolling stock. Bridge rails were used on the viaduct between Deptford and Greenwich initially, laid on longitudinal timbers with cross sleepers at four-foot intervals. At this time, new double parallel rails of £78 to the yard were laid for a quarter of a mile at Deptford on timber sleepers, presumably as an experiment. The concrete underlay was replaced with gravel ballast of two feet thickness. Adverts in newspapers give details of the services and fares on offer. From the public ledger and daily advertiser, on the 10th of February 1836, the advert reads, London and Greenwich Railway Company. A train of the company's carriages will start daily at the following hours until further notice. Fare, sixpence. From Deptford to Spa Road. Bermondsey at 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 1, 2, 3, 4 and 5. The return journey from Spa Road to Deptford was at half past the hour. The path running alongside the railway didn't last and now that the line has been repeatedly widened it's difficult to see its original appearance from a moving train. You may fare better if you visit Bermondsey on foot for here and there you can see evidence of the original railway. Look where Spa Road passes beneath the railway line by Little Bread Peddler Bakery, yum yum, you'll see massive Grecian colonnades of cast iron. They separate the pavement from the road, an echo from the last days of Georgian London. And I've included some of these photos in the show notes as well. In 1832, the future location of Spa Road Station was on the edge of development, with open country and market gardens stretching out towards Deptford and Greenwich. It all seems quite serene, 
There are occasional houses, a windmill, and the Blue Anchor Public House. Now fast forward to 1844, only 12 years later, and looking on maps, you'll see a solid black line showing the new viaduct of the London and Greenwich Railway, with the new Spa Road station now having been renamed the Spa Road. Looking closer at the 1844 map, apart from the building of the viaduct, there hasn't been much more development with the route of the railway to the southeast still running across open land, although more detail has been added to this map, and it does show a cultivated nature of the land, but we knew that from reading Garden Farms on the earlier version. As the viaduct was completed, there was considerable interest in the London and Greenwich Railway, with a company encouraged by providing access to the viaduct. On Easter Sunday, 1835, some 10,000 people walked along the viaduct with the company taking almost £50 in tolls. The roadway and footpath built to go alongside the length of the viaduct was intended to provide access to the arches and also to provide a parallel walking and carriage route with the railway charging a fee for access. The first station at Spa Road was very much of a temporary form. Wooden stairs led up to the top of the viaduct, where there was a narrow platform between the tracks and the viaduct parapet. The platform space was so limited that passengers would queue up the stairs until there was space to board the train. In November 1836, the train service was suspended for a while after a derailment, but resumed in 1837, with rumours circulating that trains had reached 60 miles an hour. This gigantic building project reached Bermondsey Street in October, and London Bridge on 14th of December 1836. Spa Road was no longer used as a stop at this time. At the other end, the line reached a temporary station at Church Row in Greenwich on 24th of December 1838, having been delayed by problems with the Deptford Creek Lift Bridge. We are, however, running out of time on today's episode, so I'll include further information about Spa Road Station on our show notes on londonguidedwalks.co.uk forward slash podcast and then click on episode 68 and I will leave Deptford Creek Lift Bridge till another time. Thanks for joining me this week. Don't forget, if there is something that you want covering on the podcast, then get in touch. You can leave a voicemail on the website and I will do my absolute best to cover that for you. If you like what I do, then please rate and review. All your comments are very much appreciated. You can subscribe to the podcast or you can sign up via our website and receive an email notification once a brand new episode is ready for you. That's all for now. See you next time.